Well, welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restart Podcast. I am your wonderful host, Fraylon Williams, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this podcast once again. Um, it's been a tremendous season already, and we're still just got a lot more of depth to digging to. All right. But if you're new to the podcast, what this podcast is, it's a weekly podcast about the Enneagram and how it can serve to be one of the best tools to aid us in becoming better people, to aid us in our self-development. All right. And before we get into the episode, let me just tell you about a little bit that's going on. So at the time that I'm actually recording this episode, it's an exciting time because it's December almost. Well, it's the last day of November, actually. Um, but and James for Christmas is just around the corner, and I'm so excited um, for that. It's always a fantastic time. I am at the North Campus this year again, and we always have lots of fun. It's a blast. And so, unfortunately, you won't hear me bringing on advertisement for it because it's way past by the time this episode airs. But um, not only that, um, Christmas itself is around the corner at the time that I'm recording this. So that's also a fun time. I really love Christmas. Um, and this year, breaking Christmas tradition a little bit. And actually, um, a couple of the family members are going to Texas to visit my cousin um, in Texas. And so um, I finally will have the opportunity to go um, visit the Magnolia Silos and Magnolia Market and Cafe and I am just going to be in absolute heaven. And at this point, I'm about, I'm like, forget Christmas. I just want to go to silos. <laughs> um, I had a trip planned in 2020, but of course, COVID happened. So I'm finally going to be able to go to the silos. And I am just so excited. Um, but not only that, um, another thing that is happening, and I'm very excited about, um, which is coming up later this year as well, is I'm starting a new podcast. Um called Taking Notes Podcast. And I could tell you what it's about, but rather than tell you, um, why don't I just let you listen to the trailer? Get ready to take some notes from the most notable comedians, entrepreneurs, writers, educators, pastors, and podcast hosts, because class is almost in session. This is Taking Notes Podcast, hosted by me, Braylon Williams, and in this class, we will learn tips and tricks from those who have done it before us. So, it doesn't matter if you've been in the game a while now or if you're just starting out as a comedian, entrepreneur, writer, educator, pastor, podcast host, or whatever it may be. If you're ready to level up your success, stuff your notebook and pencil in your backpack and head to the bus stop because we're going back to school. Coming soon in spring 2023. I absolutely love that soundtrack. It is so upbeat, upbeat and giddy. It makes gets me pumped up every time I listen to it. Um, probably my favorite trailer that I've put together for something thus far. And I cannot wait to record the first episode. Um, but like I said, there, there's a lot of things still in development for this podcast. I mean, so 
still working on just the pre things that happened to start a new podcast. Um, so it's take a little bit longer than I expected, but I'm just excited for it. I can't wait. There's a lot of other things that's happening, but I've had to put some things on the back burner and I can't tell you about those yet. So I um, just keep watching, just keep listening to this podcast, keep watching my social media because I will talk about everything. Um, working on a lot of stuff, developing a lot of stuff. So it's going to be fun for sure. And so let's talk about today's show. In today's show, we're going to continue our series through the 27 subtypes of the Enneagram. Um, and today we're going to talk solely about the three subtypes of type one. But before we go into that, I want to take another moment right at the beginning of this episode to issue another moment of gratitude and to say thank you again to Krista Harding for coming on the podcast. It, we've got to do it again, my friend. Uh, we've got to have another, another conversation soon. And if you have not listened to that episode, go back and listen to episode four. Lots of goodness just been dropped in that episode. It doesn't matter what stage of relationship you are in, whether you're single, engaged, married, newly married, married, or been married for a long time. There is so much information for each individual to benefit from that episode. So go back and listen to the episode four. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you right now to stop and go and listen to episode four. Because like I said, I, I'm not in a relationship right now. I am pretty much, I am very much single. I've been single for 23 years now, um, ever since I've been born, really. Um, and I haven't really even been on the dating scene either, but I'm looking to engage into that dating scene. And Krista has just given me so many good things to work on personally before diving into the dating scene even though this was a complete episode about relationships so listen to the episode i promise you you won't regret it and as a matter of fact when you listen to it you are going to want to have a notebook and a pen and handy because you there's going to be some things you'll be like yeah i need to take note of that let me yeah write that down let's set a goal for that krista just does a great job enunciating and iterating different things about the different stages of relationships and I love it um, so like I said today we're gonna to talk about type the subtypes of type 1 so let's start off with sexual ones and sexual ones focus less on perfecting themselves and more on perfecting what And perfecting others, perfecting that significant others, the most important individual in their life. And that's, that's why, of course, they have aspects of when they perfect, like, tasks and things like that. But for the most part, ones as a whole aren't really picky in that aspect that they can be and are 
but most of the pickiness comes at reformation of a person. Oh, you've got to do better than this because the rules state this. The rules state speed limit 20. You can drive 40 and a 20. You've got to reform to the speed limit. But that's more of the avenue of a one. Sexual ones feel actually believe that they have a right to change society and to get what they want because they have they, they believe they have this higher understanding of a truth that nobody else has that they, they they believe they have this knowledge of this is the right way to be and nobody else can see this only I have this special foreknowledge the special knowledge of this right way so what makes and sexual ones are the counter type of the three uh, of the one subtypes and what makes the sexual one the counter type is that part of the passion for a type one is repressing anger but for a sexual one though that they, they tend to act out their anger through this intense desire to reform their significant other or their closest relationship. And so for, and since they don't repress this anger, that that's, that's what makes them the counter type. Again, counter types within the subtypes, I know a lot of different definitions and wordings that can be mixed up, but a counter type goes against that passion. And for a one, that passion is to repress anger. And for a sexual one to act out that anger, uh, it makes them the counter type. And that acting out, again, mainly manifests in reforming that significant other in their life and saying, hey, you've got to change this because here's the truth about life. But it can also act out in lesser forms. Um, for instance, it can act out in a way of, all right, um, here's my anger. Let me change this about the environment because this is affecting the relationship, the intimate relationship I have with this person. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they are always trying to reform their partner. Um, but moreover, they're trying to reform anything that can affect the intimacy that they feel with their partner or that friendship or, or that number one relationship in their life. And for an average to healthy sexual one, they long for a perfect mate who becomes an unwavering source of stability in their life. Sexual ones hold a high expectation for their close relationships, and they believe that the other person in the relationship holds the same standards, which oftentimes just is not the case. It could be the case, but um, as we all, we all know, that most of the times what we expect of another person is not what happens in reality. Uh, I, I take take relationships, dating, for instance, as a single person, uh, and especially, I, I admit, it, I'm a very prideful person. 
um, I have a lot of arrogance about myself. So, but I know I'm not the only one who thinks this way. We oftentimes, especially when it comes to a crush, we, we think, oh, they, we have a crush on them. So therefore they must like us back. But we, we know in reality that that's probably not the truth. We might have a crush on them, but they probably don't even know who we are. Um, and so it's kind of that same vein of thought for a sexual one. Sexual one. Uh, they, they believe that their partner, their close relationship, holds the same values, holds the same standards as they do. And it can be true, but most of the time, it just does not turn out to be that way. And why does it not turn out to be that way for a sexual one? Because oftentimes, a sexual one's standards is higher than the average person. And so their close relationship can have some view of the same standard of a sexual one, but it's always not going to match a sexual one because they ones as a whole have a higher standard of values. And so to say an average person, an average six or an average eight or an average four will have the same value, morals and standards as a one overall, more than likely will not happen because ones just have this kind of imaginary view of standards, imaginary view of values and morals, sometimes rightly so, sometimes unjustly, unrightly so. But in the unhealthy range for a sexual one or a one-to-one, one, one, that's confusing. That's why I like to say sexual one instead of, that's why I I like to call the sexual variant the sexual variant and not the one-to-one variant. Because when you get to the one, it's like, one to one, one. That becomes confusing. No, it's the sexual one. Unhealthy sexual one variants endow themselves with strong desires and appetites. But it's hard to justify that to the one's super ego. They may experience intense desire alternating with a need to reject that desire, which may lead to sexual compulsivity and repression. This alternating pattern will cause sexual ones to often say things like, I don't want to be attracted to him or her because it just does not feel right. Again, going back to that thing of, I value this to a high standard, an average person does not value the values, the systems do not align. And so that's, that's kind of where it goes. And that's kind of what that, that's kind of the vein that alternate pattern is talking from. It's going from is, all right, here's me, here's everybody else. My desire, though, conflicts with my ego. And so I've got to say, I don't want that. And it's an alternating it's a moral dilemma, honestly. It's like, how do I justify my desire of something that goes against my standards, my that I've put out there? How do I just, how do I rightly desire a relationship with this person when my ego is here saying, oh, they do all these things wrong? Therefore, you cannot be with them. Misalignment. One is a probably, in my opinion, 
boys are probably the most misaligned people when it comes to relationships and they just have to work at it to bring themselves into alignment with the average of the core types because they have more of a higher standard for the world overall. It doesn't matter if it's a sexual one, social one, or self-preserving one. They tend, ones overall have a higher standard for life. And so they, they, they have to kind of align, get, get into alignment, you know? It's kind of like a car, you know? You have to get your tires aligned every now and then because if not, the car is going to pull to the right or to the left more than it should. And so that, that's kind of the idea. One just has to check in with themselves every now and then when it comes to relationships and their morals, their values, and their standards to see how, how, how does that, how do their higher values affect the relationships with other people? And the more unhealthy a sexual one becomes, the more they believe that the other person is the source of their obsessions and the more they want to control their other person to balance out the relationship in a sense to be restored. Ones, unhealthy sexual ones, unhealthy ones overall, tend to have a view on life that just is not right. It's unjust. It's imaginary. And that's why I say, from my opinion, opinion, ones across the board are the most misaligned people when it comes to developing relationships because just because they have this higher standard of life that a lot of other people don't have. I am so grateful for everyone's support. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. But if you're not already subscribed to Enneagram Restored Podcast, don't forget to follow and subscribe Enneagram Restored Podcast to be notified of each new episode that is released. So let's talk about social ones now. Social ones have a concern for fairness and justice within their communities. And they unconsciously consider themselves to be perfect and express their anger through focusing on being the perfect model of the quote-unquote right way. I love how um, Don Riso and Russ Hudson put it in their book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, The Complete Guide to Psychological and Spiritual Growth for the Nine Personality Types. By the way, if you don't have that book, I encourage you to go buy that book on Amazon or where you can find it because that is one of the greatest resources to know everything about the Enneagram, especially if you're just starting out to learn about the Enneagram. Uh, it's a great book. Um, just a little learning resource plug here for all the great books that I believe are great for beginners. Um, that book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Don Riso and Russ Hudson is a good one. Um, the Path... Um, between Us by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Crone. And I think that one's just Suzanne Stabile. Um, great book. Um, the Story of You by Ian Morgan Crone. 
great resource for a beginning Enneagram enthusiast. Um, Meredith, Meredith, I can never say her name. Meredith Boggs is releasing a book. Um, has just released a book. I have yet to read it, but from what I hear about from her and from reviews is that's another great resource. Um, and there's another book. I think it's called Know Your Number. I think that's the title. It is Beth and Jeff McCourt's latest book. Um, that's a great resource. So there's just a, a little bit of a plug for uh, Enneagram learning resources via books that you can purchase that I believe are some of the best. Um, and so really any book by those authors, Don Riso, Russ Hudson, Beatrice Chestnut, um, Suzanne Stabile, Ian Morgan Crone, um, and Meredith Boggs, any of those books are honestly will be good resources on the Enneagram and learning about what it's about. So this is a little, just a little plug, but going back to this quote from Don Reese and Russ Hudson's book, uh, they, they actually named the social one subtype as the crusader, which is a very actually named considering the fact that social ones are adept at uncovering the dirt and exposing wrongdoing and speaking out against injustices. So what do social ones look at, look like throughout the different levels of health? For an average to, an average range of, average, I cannot talk, for an average range of health for a social one, they believe that they represent the objective values and social standards. They get this vivid sense of themselves by holding strong opinions and convictions and arguing for their perspective. And strong opinions, strong convictions, and a strong argument for some for your perspective not only are qualities of a social one, but this also are aspects that they look for in other people. So it's like that. I do this type of thing. You've also got to do this. Again, going back to this thing of shared beliefs. So this person likes me. They must, I like this person. They must, they must like me back. That I, going back to the idea. So, but in their their fixation on these values can lead to a rigidity in both their thinking and their behavior. But as we go deeper, and as the social one becomes even more unhealthy, they begin to hold even more unrealistic standards and expectations for themselves, others, and society as a whole. It's kind of hard to name just what that would be, what that would look like exactly, because um, I, I would say if you're, if you know someone who has a one, or if you're a one and you're trying to gauge like our level of health, 
and you're like, all right, what, what are some standards? What are some values that they have? The way you can gauge that, I, I would say, in yourself mainly, because I'm always going to advocate that you gauge yourself more than you gauge other people. But in yourself, the way you can say how you, you can gauge yourself is like, all right, how realistic is this? Is this value something that you'll see mostly in a movie or a fiction book? Is this value a value my friends hold? Is it a value my family holds? Is it a value my pastor holds? The more people within your sphere of influence, within your relationship sphere, that you can say, okay, they also value this too. The more realistic that value is going to be, that the more realistic that expectation expectation is going to be. But as a one, if you have an expectation, if you have a value, if you have if you have a standard, and you are like, all right, my mother doesn't believe that, my father doesn't believe that, my sister doesn't believe that, my best friend doesn't believe that, my cousin doesn't believe that. My aunt doesn't believe that. My pastor doesn't believe that. The more people you can say do not believe this standard, do not believe this expectation, the more likely that is an unrealistic expectation. And that, and the more of those you have, the more likely you are reaching that unhealthy level for a social one. Have you ever started to learn a new way of life, but you didn't know where to start? Yeah, that was totally me when I started to learn how to stay present last year. I mean, I was completely dumbfounded on how to practice being present. Well, that is until I came across Gene Stevens. Gene is the founding and co-lead pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago. And through her own personal journey of overcoming fear with faith, Jean has learned that whatever the past or future may hold, the shockingly simple path to peace remains the same. Presence. What's here now becomes a question with life-changing implications when we slow down, set aside distractions and defenses, and step into the present moment. Both personal and practical, Jean serves as a gracious guide with her signature vulnerability for anyone longing for freedom from unhealthy patterns of relating to God and others through the avenues of shame, guilt, performance, and anxiety. In her new book, What's Here Now? How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present, Jean invites readers to embrace the present moment and all that God has for us here, now. And it is my joy and pleasure to have Jean on the podcast in a couple of weeks to talk about her book, What's Here Now, and how to stay present and the work that it takes to stay present. And the last one that I want to talk about in today's episode is the self-preservation ones. Now, these ones can often be perceived as the most worrisome and self-controlling of the one subtypes. They are also the true perfectionist of the three ones. And when it comes to anger and a self-preserving one, there's two things to note here. One is that their anger is expressed through their hard work of making themselves and the things that they do more perfect. Here, here are the ones who are more perfectionistic 
towards tasks, chores, and all those type of things. Whereas on the other hand, sexual ones are more first are more about reforming people. The second thing to know about a self not perverting, self-preserving one is that anger is the most repressed emotion within the subtype. Now that that anger is probably is definitely one of the top repressed emotions across the board for a one, but for a self-preserving one, it is definitely the number one most repressed emotion. And for self-preserving ones within the average range, they tend to worry all about the material things that contribute to their well-being. Um, their instinct gives them some strong sense for gratification, but their ego, their super ego, can be very severe in countering, in, in encountering those drives for gratification. Again, creating an inner conflict that can only be solved with reflection. And this inner conflict that develops becomes the source of continual stress, physical tension, and this all-or-nothing attitude with, in regards to their pleasures and desires. And as a self-preserving one becomes more identified with their super, with what their super ego dictates, they become more fearful and more fearful about making mistakes that seem like they could be catastrophic to them as a person, because they believe that even the smallest mistakes could result in the undoing of their well-being. Now, this is a little bit of a uh, exaggeration, but to kind of drive home what this is, what this is saying, what this is about is, say, a self-preserving one um, who's becoming very identified with their self-ego has a piggy bank of change. In this piggy bank is a hundred bucks. Got some pennies in there. You got some quarters. Got lots of quarters. Got some dimes. Got some nickels. But it all equals a hundred dollars. And this one is planning to use this a hundred dollars, one hundred dollars, to buy a new bed that is going to help them sleep better and to have a more peace of mind at night. Well, on the way to buy the mattress, a penny falls out. So now it's $99.99. 99
Well, instead of saying, hey, I've lost one cent, let me see if I can find a penny on the ground or hope that maybe they would say, all right, no problem when I go buy the mattress. No, they're going to start going to this spiral of like, okay, if I don't find a penny, I, I can't get this mattress. And if I can't find a penny, then I, I, I can't find a I lost a penny, so now why even try to buy a mattress? Maybe but it's just I can't, I don't deserve a healthy sleep at night. Maybe it's just a downward spiral. And that's, like I said, that is a very, very over-exaggerated example. But I think that's the best way to drive home with that, what that is saying about them. So, but as a self-preserving one becomes even more unhealthy and they really engage into that unhealthy range of health, they begin to go back and forth between periods of strict restraint of their appetites and periods of excessiveness. Oh, I've got to restrain from eating all this junk food because I want my weight to stay at 135 pounds. Oh, wait, it's all right. Like, sorry, right. I've been 135 pounds for years now. No increase, no decrease. I can eat all the junk food I want. Wait a minute. Got it. It's that push and pull. It's like a tug of war. <laughs> the more unhealthy a self-preserving one gets. It's like, all right. Inner tug of war. What can I do? What can I do? Here's my appetite. Here's my well-being. Here's my desire. Here's my well-being. I've got to restrain myself from my well-being. But I've got to indulge into my appetites and my desires to live life. It's an inner conflict. It's an inner tug of war that, again, only the one himself can resolve. So... That is it for this week's episode of Enneagram Restore Podcast. Again, I, I wanna I wanna thank you for listening. Um next week we will continue to look even more into the 27 subtypes and we're gonna go into the, the three subtypes of the core type two. Um but then after that episode, we're gonna take a little break from talking about the subtypes. Um but don't want to miss next week's episode and the week after that. Uh, but also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Restart Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because the more reviews we have, the more people can find this podcast and say, hey, I benefit from this podcast. Other people need to benefit from this podcast too. It's helped me understanding Enneagram has helped me understand what I can do to become a better person. So please, if you love this podcast, leave a review or just shoot me a DM saying, hey, you're doing a great job. I, I don't need it, but it's nice to have affirmation from other people. I, I promise you, I don't need it because as much pride as I have. But anyway, I'll take it too long to do this outro. Let me cut this thing short. Um, and as always, I want you to remember that the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking 
and habits.